Hello, this is Frank Miller-Ending. I'm a professor at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences of Boston. The CDC reports that each day over 130 Americans die from an opiate overdose, and more than 2.5 million Americans suffer from an opiate use disorder. We also know that over 400,000 Americans have died from an opiate overdose since 1999. I'm working on a project with a number of students, and we're capturing the work being done by individuals and organizations that are on the front line of the opiate epidemic. Our goal in this project is to shed light on the individuals and organizations who are working every day to make the lives of others better as they deal with the impact of this deadly and insidious healthcare crisis. Today, I'd like to welcome Stephen Wood. Stephen is an acute care nurse practitioner practicing emergency medicine in Boston, Massachusetts, and a fellow in bioethics at the Center for Bioethics at Harvard Medical School in Boston. He's also a consultant for the Southern Middlesex Regional Task Force and the New England Coalition Against Trafficking, the chair of the Winchester Hospital Substance Abuse Task Force, and the co-chair of the Southern Middlesex County Mental Health Working Group. In addition, he's a lecturer at Northeastern University and the Beauvais College of Health Sciences. Steve, you have firsthand insight and knowledge of the opioid epidemic that's impacting every community in Massachusetts. I also know you're among the first early responders in helping those who struggle with opiates and other illicit drugs. I've seen you speak on several occasions, and I'm always moved by your insight and passion for helping others. Steve, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and what prompted you to become one of the resources helping others who struggle with opiates and other substances? Yeah, sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm currently working as a nurse practitioner in Boston. I work in a pretty busy community hospital that serves Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, and other Boston area communities. My background is originally in EMS. I was a paramedic for about 20 years before deciding to make the change to become a nurse and then a nurse practitioner. During that time, I also got a degree in toxicology. I have an interest in human toxicology, and that led me to working uh, as at the Mass and Rhode Island Poison Center. And I also worked for a short period of time with the New Hampshire State Police in their crime lab. But my primary interest has always been emergency medicine and healthcare. So I've been working as an NP for a number of years in a community hospital just north of Boston. It's a small community hospital, but a busy one. They saw people from an array of different communities. But for the most part, you know, it was a suburban environment. And overdoses and substance use, well, we did see patients, you know, that suffered from both. It was not very common. And then around 2013, 2014, we started to see a very large influx of people coming into our emergency department who had what we suspected was some sort of opioid overdose, but they weren't testing positive for opioid. We were seeing people coming in who had been long-term, you know, opioid users who were very familiar with, you know, dosing that would have accidental overdoses. Or we saw people that, you know, had no prior history of opioid disorder that were coming in telling us that they needed help to get off opioids. And it took a few months for our emergency department and actually for the state to realize that there had been a shift from you know the primary opioid being used from heroin to fentanyl. Fentanyl is a medication we're very familiar with in our environment. We use it for analgesia and for induction of anesthesia, but we've not seen it used in an illicit way. And the users that were using it hadn't either. They weren't aware that this you know new drug had been out there and that the risk for them overdosing when they were thinking they were using kind of what they had 
that, you know, always used, you know, was quite high. My interest, you know, really in initially in working on this problem came from my interest in toxicology. I, re you know, I was like interested in, you know, why the change had happened and just more about the pharmacology behind it. But the more I became involved, um, the more I became interested in, you know, why people use opioids and working specifically with that patient population and, you know, developing ways that we could help them. Uh, what we traditionally thought would work, we learned very quickly, you know, these things were just ineffective. That's really interesting, Stephen. And, you know, you've been at this for quite some time. And you know, as I said, you're, you're one of the early pioneers here. So how, how do you see things today? Are they getting better? And, you know, looking back, you know, what things are working, what things are not working from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a history of what we initially, you know, thought would work. And that was, you know, we'd have someone come in after an overdose, we'd sometimes would use scare tactics saying, you know, you, you almost died, you know, you're putting your life at risk. We were oftentimes at that point, you know, offering to get them into treatment, you know, from the emergency department. And, you know, there were state efforts to do that as well, which were going to be, you know, 48 or 72 hour ER holds for patients that had overdosed. And what we found was that that just simply wasn't and isn't going to work. You know, so we did a small pilot study that looked at fear of overdose. And what we got out of that study is that not that people weren't afraid of overdosing or afraid of dying, but what we really were able to dig out of that is that the reason people use opioids is because they're in severe pain. I mean, that can be both physical and mental or a combination of both. And unless we have some sort of support system for them, they're going to continue to use that drug. And we really lack those kind of resources. So our solution to that was, you know, when someone would come in after overdose, it's just support. We'd give them warm blankets, we'd give them food, we'd give them, you know, emotional support, we'd offer some resources, but the scare tactic just didn't work and won't work. The other aspect of that is that, you know, most of the people that if they just came in after overdosing, right, they're really not at a, in the frame of mind for wanting to get to a detox that day. So, you know, that often was a failed process and holding them in the emergency department did no good, especially if we didn't give them anything to help them with withdrawals, which was often the case. And so what we really found was that you need longitudinal care. And unless you give these individuals some sort of longitudinal care, you know, that's really the only way to get them into the help that they need, which is they need to be ready to get the help and you need to show them that we're going to, you know, we're here for you and we'll continue to talk. And when you're ready is when we will, you know, try to make those moves towards getting you into programming. The things that don't work are, you know, three-day detox or what a lot of the users called, you know, spin-dry cycle. You know, three days isn't going to cure an addiction. We yeah. know that, you know, Section 35, which is used fairly regularly in Massachusetts, um, unless that individual is ready for help, that doesn't often work. And instead, what they feel is that they're being penalized or punished. What we know does probably work is longitudinal care. So making sure these individuals have close follow-up with a team of providers, and that's both medical and psychiatric, as well as, you know, when appropriate initiation and maintenance of medical therapies like Suboxone and Methadone so that we can help them through withdrawal while, you know, they deal with the psychiatric piece. So that's where I think we're still at an, a time where we're learning about what needs to be done. Yeah. We still need a lot more research to know, are the things that we're doing effective or are they not? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, it drives me crazy when I hear guys from the New England Patriots talking about you can be detoxed in three three to five days and change your life. Like, right. you know, I'm just wondering, you know, they just, I mean, obviously they're just reading a script, but, but right. um, can you 
give us a sense as to why we're in this crisis? You know, what are some of the root causes from your perspective, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most of the people that I've talked to, and I know there's been a lot of finger pointing in this regard, you know, was it that we were over-prescribing? Were we over-treating pain? Is there just an addictive mentality? You know, there's a lot of finger pointing going on, but what I think, you know, having talked to many people who are users of opioids in particular, is that, you know, there's a lot of underlying trauma and a lot of underlying pain, and we don't have the mental health services to address it. You know, we just don't have those resources and we don't initiate them at a time that, you know, people need them. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And can you give us some insight as to how you stay motivated, interested, and maybe share an experience of one or more people that you might have really impacted you that you've helped out? Sure. You know, one is just the people I've gotten to work with who are, you know, struggling with opioid use disorder. You know, we oftentimes kind of stigmatize them, but, you know, I've gotten to sit and talk to a lot of them. And most of them just really want help and are so appreciative of, you know, anything people do for them. And sometimes they're just even surprised that people care. A lot of them come from deep trauma, from broken families, you know, from having been sexually assaulted or physically assaulted or families of addiction. And, you know, they oftentimes just feel hopeless and helpless and showing them that you care has made a big impact. So I can recount, you know, the many occasions where someone has come back to where I work or they've sent me a letter or they've texted me to say, hey, I've been off opioids for a year. I've been off opioids for two years. And the reason is is because of you. Yeah, that's totally awesome. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And that's a huge motivator. And I say it wasn't because of me. It was because of you. It's because... I gave right. you maybe that first step, but you made those steps yourself. The other have been, you know, Chief Ferullo out of Woburn and his team of detectives have been a big motivator as well. They really helped kind of open my eyes about a lot of things, but also how much, you know, of this is a public health measure. And honestly, I think that law enforcement understood that a little bit before healthcare did in that, you know, we're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. This is not a legal issue. This is a medical issue. And so I saw the efforts that, you you know, they did, and I was able to work closely with them for the last couple of years. Now that I've moved on to working in Boston, I'm not working with that organization anymore, but I still keep in touch with them. They're a huge motivator because of the, the amount of understanding that they had in the problem and the amount of effort that they've put into correcting it. That's not yeah. just those guys. It's, you know, all of the truth, we've seen that, so... I, no, I've been equally impressed. I've, I'm working with yeah. um, very closely with Bob Buongiorno, who's the police chief in Bedford, and yeah. know, he and the Central Middlesex Police Chiefs Association. And I mean, so many people right. in law enforcement are just right. right. They've, they've really, you know, they're at the uh, point of viewing this in, in a much different light. And I think, you know, it's it's such a helpful and refreshing yeah. approach. Let me just ask you a few more questions, Steve. I know you've, sure. you've got a lot going on. So sure. how about um, changes you'd like to see from policymakers, legislatures, or whoever mm-hmm. that would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, one, I think that, you know, policymakers need to start listening to the people most affected by this, which is the users and their families. I'd like to see whenever we convene, you know, boards or commissions that they involve people who have been through this. I think that would be one big change. And the other would be that we need to start, you know, with some prevention early on, identifying kids and families that are struggling and need help and getting them the help that they need. We've seen kind of model like this in Cambridge with it and Chelsea does it as well. They have, you know, this kind of whole group of people from all of the different departments across their community, be it, you know, the school, public health, Department of Public Works, law enforcement, EMS, that when they identify a problem, they, you know, dispatch or initiate 
the appropriate resources. I think all communities kind of need to follow in the footsteps of those kind of, you know, efforts. We need more education in and around identifying patients that or people, individuals that might be experiencing trauma and how to best get them help and provide those, you know, programs for those people. And then lastly, I think, you know, we need a lot more education in and around, you know, as healthcare providers, managing pain and managing, you know, the psychiatric issues. We've kind of hit the brake and turned the car around and we're speeding in the other direction where, you know, yes, we were probably prescribing too many opioids, but we've gone from doing that to now no one's going to prescribe opioids. And there's going to be some harms from that as well. There are lots of people who Hmm. still need these medications. They've been around for centuries and they're still an important part of management of a number of different disease processes. And we can't just go from zero, you know, we can't go from giving everyone opioids to giving no one opioids. There needs to be, you know, we really need to kind of come to a middle ground. And that's where I think we have to go next. Interesting. So I have one last question for you, which is what can students and other lay people do to help out with this problem? Yeah, I mean, I'll tackle the student piece. And that is, you know, that we need to push for better education. You know, even where I'm teaching, teaching, you know, in the acute care nurse practitioner program, we do talk about opioids, but it's fairly brief. We do talk about medication-assisted therapy. It's fairly brief. We need to integrate, you know, these kind of things a little bit more into our educational programs. And that's at every level, from the medical schools, nursing schools, PA programs, et cetera. We all, you know, we need to be better equipped to deal with this crisis. We spend hours talking about cardiovascular disease and, you know, COPD and asthma. We really need to maybe give equal time to, you know, this problem, which is starting to surpass those diseases. And so I think there needs to be better education in and around opioids and substance use disorder. And it can't just be a history of, um, it needs to be really a research evidence-based kind of practice in and around best practices for prescribing opioids, best practices for treating pain, and best practices for, you know, treating substance use disorder and removing some of that stigma around these disease processes. Uh, Yeah, that's Great, great advice, Steve. This has been fabulous. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Appreciate great. your time to, on a busy uh, weekend. And sure. uh, hope we'll talk soon. I'm sure we will. And thank you for all of your efforts. I know you're doing quite a bit of what I just spoke of, which is trying to change the paradigm of education. So I appreciate what you're doing as well. And, and thanks for taking the time to have me on today. All right, Stephen. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks a lot.